turned upside down, my life will never be the same. And then the next moment, it kind of it wears off. You ever have that mate who goes away on the overseas trip and they come home and they're different? They got like the braided hair or something, they've been to Bali or they got a new bead necklace that seemed like a good idea when they're at the market and now their clothes are made of like hemp or what Lucy's been there. They got like hemp pants or whatever and they look all different and, and they're kind of chilled out and they're like, man, they just, they're so different overseas, they walk at a different pace and everything's relaxed. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be so different from now on, natural and organic and the, the world's changed, I'm a new person. But then like two weeks later after being back in Australia, they're like in the drive-thru at Macca's, late for work, stressed out, and life's just back to normal again. Life, life-changing experience, done with. Uh, or there's the near-death experience. Has anyone had a legit near-death experience? Or at least thought it was at the time? I think lots of us have them. We think it's a near-death experience, and sometimes it's not. You know, it's the, you almost drown, the near-miss in the car. Like, what is that lump on my arm? am I going to die? What is this? And you go to the doctor and it's nothing, you're fine. But, but after those experiences, sometimes you're like, life is short. I'm going to be different from now on. I'm going to treasure every moment, seize the day. And then like a week later, you're on the couch, like huffing down a block of dairy milk chocolate, re-watching Parks and Recreation for the fourth time that year kind of thing. And it all just goes back to normal. A bunch of it, really all of us, I think, kind of had a life-changing experience with COVID. 2020, it was a crazy year. And I remember at the peak of it, like, you couldn't do anything. Like, we were locked in our houses, you're on Zoom, socialising, like, that's real friendship. And, like, you'd, you, the only thing you could leave the house to do was to exercise. And so, we're all exercising with friends, like, just walking around, hoping that no one is like, hey, that's not exercise. Um, and then they started to roll back the restrictions. And I, remember, I, I distinctly remember the first time I could hang out with people again. I got like friends over my house and I'm like, this is the greatest night of my life. I'm never going to take this for granted. We're eating food together. We're in the same room. You're not a computer screen. You're a real person. My life will never be the same. I'm never going to get sick of this. And like a week later, I'm like, stupid COVID. Why can't I have 50 people over my house? You know, like so you just forget the experience and it all becomes normal again. And you kind of just go back to it. Life-changing experiences, they have a use-by date. They, they wear off. Now, there's one life-changing experience which you actually see unfolding in this passage tonight. You see it unfold for a whole bunch of people in this passage tonight. It's the life-changing experience of encountering Jesus. What you see in this passage is that Jesus, when people meet Him, it flips their life upside down. It completely changes everything, but it doesn't just wear off. It doesn't just go away after a week. It really does change all of life. Now, that life-changing experience of encountering Jesus is what we see in this passage, but it's actually what's on, on offer to us tonight. That same thing is on offer to you tonight as well. It's a massive thing that we see in this passage as, as you meet Jesus. It's, here's the first thing. You'll see it really obviously in the passage. It's all the way through there. When people meet Jesus, it completely changes their world. Pick it up with me. Let's just... We'll quickly whiz through the passage together and we'll come back to some of the details later. But I just want you to notice this. As you read through it, notice how Jesus just turns people's lives upside down. Pick it up, verse 35. The next day, John was there with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. 
It's the same thing he said back in verse 29, and he said it again here, there's the Lamb of God. But this time, in this passage, John the Baptist's disciples, the people he's hanging out with, they actually do something about what he says. And they're like, okay, well, what's going on? And like any normal human interaction, John's disciples, two of them, they just start following behind Jesus. Like, what's he up to? And they're just going to walk behind him for a bit. And like any normal social interaction, Jesus turns around, verse 37, he's like, what do you want? (laughs) And so, here John's disciples are, finally face to face with Jesus, the one that John the Baptist said is a really, really big deal. He's the Lamb of God. And so, here's John's disciples face to face with Jesus and he's like, what do you want? And they go, what does it say? Where where are you staying? Can we see? And Jesus says, come, come and I'll show you. And so, what ends up happening is that these two disciples, they spend the whole day with Jesus, probably from four o'clock in the afternoon, which probably means they actually get to spend the whole night with Him as well. They hang out with Jesus. Now, we don't know exactly what happened that night. We don't have recorded for us what Jesus taught, what He said, what happened. But what's clear is it's life-changing. It's incredible. You get little insights into what it might have been like. You see a longer account of Jesus with Nicodemus in chapter 3, Jesus with the woman at the well in chapter 4. And you get these little insights into the fact that hanging out with Jesus would just have been incredible as He kind of sees into your soul and teaches what He teaches. It would be amazing. But what's clear is that these two guys, their lives are turned upside down. Straight after that happens, verse 40, the first thing Andrew does is he goes and finds his brother Pete, uh, Simon, and he says, guess what, this is huge, Uh, I've found Jesus, I've found this guy, I've found, he says, verse 40, verse 41, first thing he did, he came and he said, I've found the Messiah, that is the Christ. His life is flipped upside down. Now, Andrew, we know, is one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, His life will never be the same after this day. He's going to spend the rest of his life following Jesus, eventually to his death. The other disciple goes unnamed, but lots of people think that that guy is John, John the disciple, not John the Baptist. And the reason people think that is often when John writes, as he writes the Gospel, when he's in the story, often he leaves himself unnamed. And so, it seems that for both of these guys, their lives are completely flipped upside down. They leave everything to come and follow Jesus. And Andrew, he gets into it straight away. Verse 40, check it out, he goes straight to his brother. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who'd followed Jesus. And then the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And then the next thing that happens is his brother Simon his life gets flipped upside down as well. Look at verse, uh, halfway through, we found the Christ and they brought him to Jesus, verse 42. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Jesus literally renames Simon. He meets him, he says, nice to meet you, I'm going to give you a new name now though, your name is Peter, which we know from other parts of the Bible means rock, rocky, like sturdy, (laughs) Peter was the OG rock, before Dwayne Johnson made it good and cool, he was Peter, he was the original rock, which is a massive power move, isn't it? Huge power move. Imagine meeting someone, being like, nice to meet you, Tim, it's lovely to meet you, but I think from now on you shall be called Mountain. That just sticks, that's who you are now. Like, he's renamed this guy, but Peter doesn't write off Jesus like he's some sort of a crazy person, 
Instead, as his name predicts, Peter goes on to become the rock on which Jesus will build his church. The leader of this new church as it grows, it's going to spread to the whole known world. When Peter encounters Jesus, it flips his life upside down, but it doesn't stop there. Verse 43, 44, we find Philip. Jesus meets him and he says, follow me. And so Philip does. And again, Philip becomes one of the 12 disciples of Jesus who will follow him to his death. Last, Philip finds his mate Nathaniel, and he says, we found the one, we found Jesus of Nazareth. And initially, Nathaniel's a little bit sus, look at verse 46, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked, and he says, well, come and see, and so they do. Nazareth was a bit of a backwater town, it was like 300 people, it was a bit of a nothing place. It's like me going, hey, guess what, I found the most important person in the world, this is incredible, I found him, he's, he's arrived, and you're like, where, where did you find him? I'm like, I found him at... Wyoming, <laughs> or, or wherever you want to pick on, that's the classic preacher's joke, pick on a town, but it, it's a bit of a nothing place, and he's like, Nazareth, are you serious? Nothing good comes from there. Philip's response is, come and see, and so Nathaniel does, and then verse 49, you see Nathaniel's reaction, Nathaniel's met Jesus, and he declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Do you see the transformation? Nathaniel goes from sceptical to, you're the king. You're the king of God's people. You're the king of the world. Now, lots of people think that Nathaniel is actually the disciple Bartholomew. There's a whole bunch of reasons you can chase that down as you compare the Gospels. Uh, but lots of people had two names, like Simon Peter, Nathaniel Bartholomew was, was perhaps this guy as well. And so, again, here's another person whose life is flipped upside down as he leaves everything to now come and follow Jesus. So, one by one, you see these people encounter Jesus, their life is turned upside down to the next person, and so five people meet Jesus and their lives are just completely flipped upside down. You'll see it unfold in the Gospel of John where these men go. Now, I wonder if you're thinking, as you hear all of that, I wonder if you're thinking, that's nice for them, good for them, that's really good for them, I'd love to meet Jesus face to face too. I'd love to sit down with Him and hear Him teach and meet Him and, and have my life changed as well, but I can't have that. I don't get what they got. I wonder if you're thinking that. Well, here's the thing. John, one of the people who spent their lives with Jesus, as he writes this account in front of us, the reason he writes it is so that we can experience what he did. He really did. Come over to John chapter 20 very quickly, just check this out, John chapter 20, pick it up in verse 29. John's really explicit about why he writes this account. Verse 29, he's talking to Thomas. Thomas has seen Jesus resurrected and Jesus says to him, uh, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And now here's the purpose of the book. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his, of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Why is John writing this book? So that you can encounter Jesus. So that you, by faith would come to know Him 
and put your trust in Him and have your life flipped upside down. You'd find eternal life in this person, Jesus, as you encounter Him on the pages of this book. And so here in the Scriptures, we encounter Jesus, we meet Him and it's not second rate. It's not like the kind of second-rate option. Verse 29, Jesus says Himself, you've seen me and believed, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's our experience and it's a wonderful experience. We have the whole canon of the Bible in front of us, we have all of it in front of us, it's ours, we can meet Jesus here. And so, just like John and his mates in chapter 1, all people have an opportunity to encounter Jesus, to meet Him in these pages, for God to do a miracle in our hearts that by His Spirit, He'd bring our dead hearts to life, to find life, to find salvation. And this story of people encountering Jesus, it starts here in John chapter 1, um, with this raggedy bunch of five guys that Jesus collects, but it keeps growing, it keeps spreading. And so, as you read on in the Gospel accounts, you read in, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples at Pentecost and this same Peter, Peter the Rock, he starts to preach and when he does, in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people become Christians in a day. Through, through his testimony about Jesus the world is changed. People encounter Jesus in the message of the Gospel and they're changed, their lives are rocked. And this Gospel doesn't just stop there, it keeps spreading, it goes from the city, Jerusalem, to the whole region of Judea and then next it goes from Judea to the neighbouring region of Samaria and by the end of the book of Acts, the Gospel has gone to the whole known world, it's spreading everywhere. And so today, <laughs> as we sit here in this room together in Erina, we too are the recipients of this message, we encounter Jesus in these pages. It's changed my life, it's changed many of your lives, I know that to be the case. It's changed the world. 2.4 billion people worldwide know the name of Jesus, they call Him Lord and so here we are today, gathered as the people of God. Now, here's the question, why? <clears throat> why does encountering Jesus, meeting Him, why does that change lives? Why does that change the world? Because Jesus has more than any other man who's walked the earth, Jesus changed the world. Why? Well, here's the second huge thing you'll see in this passage. Why does Jesus change the world? Because of who He is because of who He is. The identity of Jesus, back in chapter 1 there, it, it jumps out at us from this passage, it's all the way through the passage, the, the identity of Jesus. First, Jesus is the Lamb of God, verse 36, John says it, he says, look, the Lamb of God. Now, back in verse 29, we saw this last week, John said it first of all, and he said, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Brothers and sisters, never get tired of this message, Seriously, never get tired of the fact that Jesus is the Lamb of God, the one who came to die on our behalf. He's our sacrificial lamb, our Passover lamb, our scapegoat from Leviticus we saw last week. He dies so that we don't have to and the result is we can be forgiven, once and for all forgiven. It's life-changing. 
Second, Jesus is the king. He's the king of everything. After meeting Jesus, Andrew rushes, he finds his brother Simon, and the first thing he does, verse 41, he says, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ. The Messiah is a Jewish word, the Christ is a Greek word, it's not Jesus' last name, it's a title, it means king. Nathaniel says the same thing in verse 49, he says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel, you're the King of God's people, the promised King who, who God said who would come to rescue God's people, you're Him, you're the one, you're the King. To say that Jesus is the Christ is like smooshing together that picture of the Lamb and, and King together, He's the rescuing King, <laughs> He's the Lamb who comes to save, who is the King as well. Jesus comes as our Saviour, the Lamb, but He also comes as the King. Both of those things are true. His forgiveness is free, unconditional. Come to Him, put your trust in Him and you're forgiven. But when you do that, you do it as having Him as your King. He comes to rescue you and to rule you. Now, one of the reasons He comes as King is that the thing He's rescuing us from is our sin, and you need to catch this, sin, in its essence, is actually a rejection of God. It's throwing off God as King. Jesus comes as the one to rescue us from our sin and now rule us to be our new master. You guys remember those crazy riots that happened in uh, Capitol Hill, I don't know how long ago, it was like six weeks ago, uh, in the US around the time the presidents were changing over? There were these massive uh, riots, Capitol Hill, and they took over. Uh, they actually took over Capitol Hill for a while. Now, this is a, I'm going to use a completely fictional story, so don't read into it, I'm not saying anything political, but just imagine for a second that those riots on Capitol Hill, imagine if they really took off. Uh, imagine if there was a full-blown civil war in America and a chunk of America kind of threw off their new president, were like, we're going to run our own country from now and it's going to be good. And, you know, in the bunch of pictures, there's a guy wearing a Viking helmet for some reason, not sure why he was, he's the captain of this new place, right? So you've got America, then within America, you've got like Viking land and they throw off the government and now they've got their own country going on. And imagine for a little while, it's pretty good in new Viking land and everyone's having a good time riding and doing whatever they want to do, but then pretty quickly, stuff goes bad. Turns out the dude in the Viking helmet, he's not a good guy, uh, and people are going hungry, and there's abuses of power, and it's terrible, and actually, you can't leave. Now that you've started this new country within a country, you can't escape, because everyone will, you know, they'll lock you up, they'll, they'll kill you, or whatever. There's no leaving, it's a bad place, and there's nothing you can do about it. But then imagine that the army hears how terrible it is in New Viking land, and so the normal US army, they come through and there's this fighting and they're pushing back the rebels and they're taking back the place. But they, the army comes back though with this message. They say, good news, rescue is here. We're coming, your rescue is underway. Lay down your weapons and surrender. Give up, stop fighting. Come back under the US government and you'll be pardoned. You need to come back under the original government though. Rescue, but surrender. Come back under a better rule. That's fundamentally what it means to become a Christian. It's forgiveness for sins, yes. It's forgiveness, free, absolutely. Rescue through the Lamb. But when He comes to rescue you, He comes to rightly bring you back under His rule. We leave our old master of sin 
and we're freed to this better master. That's what it means to become a Christian, to come back under the rule of Christ. Have you done that? Both parts of that. That is, are you someone who says, yeah, Jesus saves me, yes, amen, that's great, I'll take forgiveness for sins. But have you also come back under His rule as the Christ, as the King? The offer of forgiveness, it's, it's free, unconditional, it's total. But when you do that, you come under Him as your Lord. Have you done that? And brothers and sisters, for those of you who teach the Gospel, whether you're an EV kids teacher or a youth leader or wherever you might teach the Gospel, uh, make sure you teach the whole of the Gospel. Don't just teach the forgiveness of sins through Jesus, Teach Jesus as Saviour and Jesus as Lord. Teach the whole of the good news when you do. Wherever you tell it, tell the whole story. Who Jesus is changes everything. First, He's the Lamb. Second, He's the King. Third, the whole Bible is about Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Now, that might sound like the most obvious thing you'd ever hear in a church, right? Guess what? The Bible is about Jesus, but it's a massive claim. We're so used to hearing it, but this passage is making a massive claim. It's saying something huge about who Jesus is. Like Andrew and Peter, Philip gets his time with Jesus. He hangs out and look at what Philip concludes about Jesus. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We found the one the whole Bible is about, he's saying. Moses' bit, the first bit, the the Pentateuch it's called, the bit that Moses wrote, it's about him, it's about this guy Jesus. The second bit, the prophets, it's also about Jesus. The law and the prophets, that's another way of saying the whole Old Testament is about Jesus. That's what he's saying. This is massive. It's absolutely huge. And that isn't just, it's not just Philip's opinion, That was actually Jesus' claim about Himself. Come over to chapter 5 really quickly and look at verse 39, chapter 5, verse 39. Here Jesus is having a go at the Pharisees and He's like, you think you're heaps good at the Bible, you don't even get it. Look at verse, chapter 5, verse 39. You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me. The Bible is about me. Your Bible, he says to the Pharisees, is about me. That is a crazy big claim. We're used to hearing that, but it is massive. Imagine hearing that as a Jew. Imagine you're someone who's growing up, you know, grown up reading the Old Testament, following this God, and then some guy turns up and says, you know that book you've been reading your whole life that your whole culture and your identity is completely built on, the very foundation of everything that you know and believe? That's about me. That book you read, it's all about me. That is a massive claim, huge, (laughs) that everything that God wrote in the Old Testament is in the end pointing to this person, Jesus, who's turned up. He's here now. Everything revolves around him. It's massive. There's an old movie, The Truman Show. Who's seen The Truman Show out of interest? I barely need to explain this to you. For those of you who haven't, uh, the, the big idea is this guy's life is a television show. 
and he doesn't know it, but he's on a TV show. And so everyone around him are actors, there's a script and everything, but it's all revolving around this man whose life is like a reality TV show, except that he doesn't know he's on a reality TV show. And so everyone's doing their thing. The whole world is revolving around him. You ever have that kind of Truman Show thought experiment ever? Has anyone else ever done that? Honestly? Yeah, good, okay, a few of you. Where you're kind of like, what if like my life was a TV show and everyone was watching, I'm 10, so give me a break, but I used to think like, what if the whole world was kind of watching me and I was on a TV show? I grew out of it eventually, but some of you are honest, thanks for owning up to it. Anyway, there's the Truman Show, there's this guy, the whole world actually does revolve around him, he's at the centre of it all, there's a script and he's the point of it, Everyone else is just actors pointing to him. The world revolves around him. The story revolves around him. It is his story. (laughs) Jesus is saying, that's me, (laughs) but for real. The whole of human history, as God has recorded it for us in his word in the Bible, is is Jesus' story. Which, by the way, means that Jesus, it does mean this, Jesus can't be just a nice guy who had some nice ideas. You know what I mean? Jesus can't, there's this popular idea that says, oh yeah, Jesus, I'm sure he's a really nice guy, he had lots of good ideas, taught some wonderful things about how we should love one another, but then a whole bunch of people got carried away and started calling Jesus God. (laughs) Can you see how that can't be true? If if we listen to Jesus' own words about himself and what he's claiming here, there's only a handful of options. He's straight up crazy and thinks he's at the centre of the world and the whole Bible's about him, there's one option, or he's actually a bit of a jerk, a big jerk, he's evil and he's going around tricking people saying the whole Bible and every, all existence is about me, it's all about me and it's not, it's a trick, he's either crazy, thinks he's at the centre of the world and he's not, or he's evil, he's lying about who he is, or he actually is who he claims to be, the biggest deal in the world. The whole Bible is about him. History itself revolves around him. So you need to decide who he is. You can't just write him off and say he was a nice guy who said some nice stuff. His claims are too massive. Now, if all that isn't enough, the end of this passage, I think, kind of turns up the volume on Jesus' identity. It shows us something ridiculous. Fourth, Jesus is God Himself on earth, God walking the earth. All right, I think that comes from the tricky bit at the end of our passage, verse 50, 51. Uh, Nathaniel, he starts off as sceptical about Jesus, you remember, Nazareth, nothing good comes from there. But then then Jesus shows him uh, that he has some kind of supernatural knowledge about him. Look at verse 48. Uh, he said, Nathaniel says, well, how do you know me? Nathaniel asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called. And then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, we don't know what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree, but whatever was going on, he clearly was alone. And he's shocked that Jesus has this insight about Nathaniel, that he knows what was going on, even though he wasn't there. And so he responds and he says, you are the king, you are the son of God. But then look at what Jesus says next, verse 50, Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than that. And then he added, very truly, I tell you, you'll see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
Basically, he's saying, you haven't seen anything yet. You, you ain't seen nothing yet. Things are going to get a lot crazier than I saw you under the fig tree, Nathaniel. <laughs> now, it's worth noting, when he says, um, you will see, I tell you, you will see heaven open, you'll see greater things than this. Um, that's a plural word in Greek. We don't have a plural for you. It sounds like yous. You guys, yous guys are going to see greater things than that. We don't have that word, so we just wrote you. But it's a plural. Jesus is saying, not just Nathaniel, but to all those who would witness his ministry, you guys are going to see greater things than this. See how it sounds terrible? That's why we write you. Now, some of you might have been wrestling with this in growth groups, but what does it mean? Verse 50 and 51, what is Jesus talking about? You might have looked at this passage earlier in the week, and you've, you've probably picked up, if you had been, that Jesus is intentionally reminding us of something from the Old Testament. It was read out for us just a minute ago by Joel, uh, and come back there, come back to Genesis chapter 28 and see the thing that Jesus is reminding us of in John chapter 1. So Genesis 28, verse, pick it up, verse 10, the context, Jacob, he's travelling, he's on his way and it's time for a sleep and so he gets his rock pillow out, which is always an odd detail that I love and he goes for a little nap on his rock pillow and then he has a dream, verse 12. Jacob had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the, angel, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it and there above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I'll give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying and he goes on from there. Basically, Jacob, he's having his little dream on his rock pillow uh, and then God shows up in the dream. He meets God and it's incredible. He has this vision of, of God now there talking to him from heaven, from the clouds and it's amazing and the big deal is that God is there because look at verse 16, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. I was not, a, I wasn't, I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. The big thing with this dream, the big thing with the incident in Genesis 28, is that God showed up. <laughs> that's the huge thing. The angels on the stairway up and down, all that kind of stuff, that's not the main point. They're like the entourage, they're like the big neon sign that's meant to be saying, hey, God's here, right? He's not, he's not too worried about the angels and the stairway. The big point is that God turned up and spoke to him. This is the house of God. I'm going to build a statue out of rocks to remember it. It's a big deal for him. Come back to John chapter 1. Look at Jesus' words in verse 51. What's similar and what's different? Verse 51, John chapter 1. Well, again, like in the Genesis story, you'll see, it says, you'll see heaven opened. You're going to have an encounter with the divine. You're going to meet God. We get a vision of the divine. But if you look at verse 51, rather than, you know, the picture of a ladder to heaven with God speaking from the clouds from up above, what does Jesus say you'll see? You'll see the Son of Man. That's Jesus' name for himself. Jesus is saying, the big thing you're going to see is you're going to see me. <laughs> heaven opened, you're going to meet God and encounter with the divine and you're going to meet God. <laughs> but he'll be on the earth, not speaking from the clouds at the top of a ladder, he'll be walking the earth. 
You won't look up to him, you'll see Jesus. In the person of Jesus, God himself will be among us. He'll eat with sinners, he'll heal the needy, he'll bring hope to a broken world and eventually God walking among us will walk to his death on a Roman cross and then he'll rise again in victory. So Jesus says, you're impressed by a little magic trick? I saw you under the fig tree? Keep watching. You're going to see God walking on the earth as a man. That's what Jesus did. And for those who had the eyes to see it, that's what his whole ministry and life was. The Son of Man on the earth, God himself. That's why who Jesus is changes everything. When you encounter Jesus, you meet God. That's what happens. Now, you can choose to reject him if you want, but for those who see him as he is, he turns everything upside down. What choice do we have but to follow this one? If you really get who he is, you're going to follow him. Who he is demands our whole lives. But he's good. He's completely worth it. He's wonderful. He's good. It's life-changing. So what does this passage do for us? How is this passage meant to shape us? Well, step one, the big thing you've got to do from this passage is see Jesus clearly. You've got to see him for who he is. That is the most important thing. Don't miss it. He's the lamb, he's the king, he's the one at the centre of all history. He's God himself turned up in his world. Don't miss that for yourself. Step one, don't miss that for your sake. But step two, here's where we're going to spend a bit of time in application. The natural response to meeting Jesus is to share the good news with others. Let's finish up with a few points on that. So number one, when, when you get how good Jesus is, sharing him with those around you. It's, it's completely natural. <laughs> Did you notice how normal it was for the people in this passage? Andrew, he meets Jesus, spends a day with Jesus. The next thing he does is he goes and tells his brother Simon. First thing he does, he goes and gets Simon and he tells him about what's happened. Now, why? Why is the first person Andrew tells Simon, his brother? I reckon it's just as simple as he loves him. <laughs> He's just excited by what he's just found out. He knows who Jesus is now and he just wants to share this good news because it's amazing. And do you reckon when Andrew found Simon, he was like, brother, Simon, oh man, I had an interesting day today. It was really very interesting. I met this man, Jesus, and it was quite amazing. He said some incredible things and I reckon, I don't suppose you'd like to meet him as well. It was, it was quite, quite good. Do you want to meet Jesus as well? I don't reckon it was anything like that. I reckon he was like, you know, that door open, Simon, you will not believe what I just found. You, aren't, you won't believe what just happened. I found the best news in the world. I found Jesus. The, I found the King. You're coming with me right now. Like he would have been kicking down the door, yelling and screaming and making a fool of himself. When you really get who Jesus is, when you catch who he is, it's the greatest news in the world and the most natural thing to do is to share that good news with people. We share the good news about a TV show we found on Netflix that other people aren't onto yet or a good phone plan or whatever. <laughs> Jesus is the best news in the world. 
It just makes sense to share him with people you love. And some, I think sometimes when, when we think about sharing the gospel, we forget the basic headline of what it is. We forget what the gospel is. We're so worried about what are people going to think and how will they respond and will I seem pushy and how's it going to go, will they want to talk, I don't know. But we forget about the fact that fundamentally the gospel is good news. That's literally what it means and it's an understatement, it's great news, it's the best news and so remember that. Just start there, remember what it is and it'll seem natural to want to share it with the people around you. Second, Sometimes I think we need to persist in sharing Jesus. You need to keep at it. Did you notice John the Baptist last week, verse 29, he called out who Jesus was. He saw Jesus and and he testifies. He says, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 29. It seems as though there wasn't much of a response to what he said on that day. Nothing's recorded for us anyway. But did you notice John didn't stop there? The next day, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, what does he do? He says it again, it's the Lamb of God, look, it's the Lamb of God. And that time, the next time, two of his disciples actually start tailing Jesus and what it kicks off is a chain reaction that we'll see, the world changed forever, the church is born, the first five Christians start following Jesus, they listen. Sometimes you just need to be persistent. It's really, really good news. So don't just say it once, keep saying it. And I don't mean, you know, be obnoxious and rude and ignore people and you say it once and like, I don't want to talk and you're like, well, I'm going to keep talking. I don't mean that. But don't just give up because you said it once and no one listened. Keep talking about Jesus. Third, notice as well that the gospel spreads through relationships. Andrew's first reaction finds his brother Peter tells him. Philip is, you'll notice, Philip is also a friend of Andrew and Peter. They're from the same town. And it it could actually be the case that they're the ones who introduce Philip to Jesus as well. When Philip hears the good news, the first thing he does, he goes and finds his friend Nathaniel and tells him. Because it's such good news, the natural response is to share it with the people that you love. And yes, God can reveal himself to anyone he wants. Jesus can be revealed to anyone but humanly speaking God has placed people in your life for who you are the best chance to share Jesus that's true listen to the words of a famous gospel preacher this is a guy who preached to lots of people publicly saw thousands of people respond to the gospel but listen to what he says about this passage J.C. Ryle he says thousands humanly speaking, would listen to a word from a friend who would not listen to a sermon. Every believer ought to be a home missionary, a missionary to their family, their children, neighbours and friends. Who are the people in your life for whom, humanly speaking, they'd probably never come to church or sit down and listen to a sermon or something like that? but they might listen to you. Who are the people that God has put in your life? Now again, this isn't to heap up guilt and expectation where suddenly we start carrying all of this ourselves and feeling really bad that I'm not doing what I want to do or whatever. Just remember, this is fundamentally great news. It's the gospel. It's the best thing in the world. 
Who are the people in your life that you might be able to share it with? Fourth and last, here it is, you don't need to have all the answers. Sometimes you can feel a bit intimidated by this idea of speaking about Jesus. You don't need to have all the answers. Did you notice Philip's response to Nathaniel? Verse 46, Nathaniel's sceptical. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And how does, what's the clever response that Philip has? Well, come and see. He doesn't try and convince him. He doesn't go, well, actually, surprisingly, Nazareth, you know, just come and see. Just come and look for yourself. Sharing Jesus doesn't mean you have to have all the answers and know all the tricky things. It can be as simple as just come and see. Come and check it out for yourself. Imagine you're talking to your mate and they know you, they trust you, you're not a weirdo, and you say, hey, I'm a Christian. I've met Jesus and he's amazing. But don't just take my word for it. Would you ever read the Bible yourself? Do you reckon you'd ever do that? If I gave you a Bible, would you read it? It's, it's life-changing, it's amazing. Would you check it out for yourself? You're talking to, to your mum and dad, who aren't Christians, and you say, I've met Jesus, He's amazing. I'm a Christian, but I don't want you to just, you know, take my word for it. Mum, dad, would you ever come and check it out for yourself? Would you ever come and see? Come to church at Easter and hear some of the Bible there. Would you do that? You don't need to know all the answers. You just need to be able to point them to the one who has the answers, and that's Jesus. And it's such good news. Let's pray. Well, Father God, thank you so much that we are the recipients of the best news in the world. That Jesus has come, that He's the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, that He's the King, He's the good King who's come to rule us. We praise you so much for the privilege it is to know the Lord Jesus. Father, help us more than anything to remember that it is fundamentally good news. I pray that it would be our joy to share it with those around us who need to hear it. But Lord, please help us to keep trusting in Him, to keep sharing this wonderful message, because it is such a good news. Amen.